Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi guys, welcome. First of all, I'm restarting this. I recorded a little bit and then I realized I have quite a little frog in my throat. I don't feel sick like at all, but after I talked for like honestly two and a half minutes, I had a huge coughing fit. I just gnawed on a little cough drop, which I was kind of shocked I had. They're probably two to three years old at this point because I don't really use cough drops. So I'm feeling my feeling a little more lubricated in my throat. But fair warning, I might be coughing. I might have to pause often <laughs> to cough. So if it seems a little disjointed, that's why. And before I get into anything, I have big, huge news that's really not big, huge news at all, but I have rebranded my Instagram and Twitter, as I've told you guys, I don't really use the Twitter anymore just because I'm loving the community on Instagram. You guys are amazing. I posted some Insta stories yesterday of me talking, and I loved the responses I got. You guys are all so nice. I think I'm going to try and do that more often. I don't really utilize stories on there. I'm not a person that really talks into my camera for stories like anywhere. That's just not something I've ever really done. And I got a really fun response. So I'm going to do that. But instead of being EBP underscore feathers, I am now feathers underscore pod. I'm feathers underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter. The reason for this is because it's kind of hard to plug EBP underscore feathers on um, non- Emotionally Broken Psychos family podcast. Like, I was on the Mary-Kate and Ashley podcast, Gimme Pizza, like, a month ago, which, by the way, you should go listen if you haven't listened. And, she, like, I was plugging my my name, and I was like, well, it's EBP for Emotionally Broken Psychos. It was, like, a whole thing. So, Feathers underscore pod is much easier. Feathers pod was taken by someone. I don't know who, but someone already had Feathers pod. So it's feathers underscore pod. If you're not following me, now is a perfect time to go follow follow me. But if you're searching for me, that's where you should search. Anyway, does anybody else notice that the feather or the the Instagram search feature is pure garbage? Instagram's actually garbage as a platform, but mm, we're all enslaved to it. Anyway, I did want to say I will be recording a bonus episode tomorrow in my car, a car cast, if you will. For the Patreon, it will go up sometime this coming week, and I'm going to talk about Mackenzie McKee. I asked her suggestions on what I should talk about, and a lot of people had great suggestions, but I'm going to be doing this in my car, so I can't have notes. (laughs) I'm going to do it as I drive to the shore, unless I wake up super sick tomorrow, Um, and I want to talk about something that is interesting, and I don't usually love to do bonus episodes on Teen Mom-related stuff, but... I guess this broke this week and not last week. Mackenzie McKee is kind of joining Teen Mom OG. And so I'm going to talk all about that, but really try and give like a Mackenzie McKee 
overarching explanation. Um, I think a lot of people that aren't close team on followers don't really know about Mackenzie McKee and don't know why she is kind of a controversial figure. So I'm pretty excited to talk about that. So just a heads up, that will be coming out unless something happens to me and I don't do it. <laughs> anyway, where were we? Right. So guys, Teen Mom OG starts on Monday. It's a two-hour episode, which is truly a hate crime by MTV against me. But I'll be watching. We'll be back on schedule. But today, I am going to be recapping an old episode. I'm going to be in season 5B, episode 3, which is called, I wrote it down, it's called Overload. Now, I wanted to do something in season five, six-ish. I really wanted like a heavy Nate and Janelle episode because I haven't really done these episodes. I've touched on them um, in the episode that I did with my friend Aaron when we talked about kind of Kayla and Javi as like an overarching, I've used that twice now. Let me not use that word again. When we talked about Kayla and Javi's relationship, uh, we talked about some episodes from season five. But I haven't really recapped any uh, episodes so late in the series, and I really wanted to do a Janelle and Nate episode. And my my original thought was that it would be topical for me to record (laughs) the episode. Guys, I'm evil. I'm an evil person. Where Janelle abused the dogs when Nate went to jail. It's not funny, guys. I know it's not funny. It's not funny. But I was like, wow, that would be a topical episode to do. So I was like, you know, all set to do that episode. And then I was reading the episode descriptions and I realized the episode before was none other than die in the baby's head. Now, if you don't know that, it's when Leah gets so fucking high on Xanax that she, well, I'll get into it, but Leah gets really fucking high on Xanax. And I was like, fuck, I have to do that episode. I have to do that episode. We've been talking so much about Janelle and Nate, and this does have good Janelle and Nate moments. And I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's definitely talk about Leah. Um, I will say this week, another 911 call was released. Janelle called 911 on David on December 23rd. Apparently he was very mad about an article that had been released Uh, The internet detectives figured out that was around the time when the towing video was published, and then it came out that charges were going to be pressed on him. So it was all around that time, and Janelle calls 911. She says that her husband is breaking the front door. He's breaking shit. She sounds extremely calm. Uh, She says she's in the attic and that her baby's downstairs sleeping, and the 911 operator's like, your husband has a gun and he's breaking stuff and you left the baby asleep. And Janelle's like, no, 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 no. I'm staring at her room. I just didn't want to wake her up. Basically backtracking because she realizes the 911 operator is judging her uh, for her decisions. What I think, okay, do I think Janelle should have called 911 in that situation? Probably. David is a violent, scary person. He was breaking things. Well, most likely he was breaking things. Do I think Janelle was actually scared? No, not really. I mean, I think she was probably, she probably has a base level amount of fear, you know, when it comes to David. 
But I think she mostly just wanted David to, like, shut the fuck up. And she wanted the cops to come and make him shut the fuck up. I think that's kind of how Janelle views calling the cops. Um, I don't think Janelle often calls the cops because she's genuinely scared of something. She calls the cops for a sense of control on the situation because she usually has the upper hands, upper hand when the cops are involved. I do think, maybe I don't think this. I was going to say that I do think that if Janelle was genuinely stressed that David was, like, coming in to kill her, that she would maybe grab Ensley and try and protect them both. But I don't know, because it's possible that Janelle realizes that David isn't interested in hurting Ensley, and he's only interested in hurting her, and it makes more... Oh, this is too dark. I just, like, got a whole body shiver. Just, like, stepped in a really dark zone. Not that I'm not ever not in a dark zone, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Janelle would try and grab Ensley in this situation. <laughs> Yikes. But I just, I don't think she was really scared. Um, I think, at least not, I don't think she was, like, genuinely fearing for her safety at that point. Beyond, like, her normal base level feel, fearing for her safety. I think she just wanted the cops to come over and, like, de-escalate the situation. At the end of the call is supposedly emerged call it's another call where david called requesting a welfare check because janelle was ignoring his calls and he wasn't at home the operator says they get a lot of traffic with the two of them i expect more 911 calls to keep coming out it's obvious that radar is asking for them and they probably are slow and take a long time to get but i have a feeling that the cops go to their house very often and I think that we know that Janelle's a 911 caller and we know that Janelle is a person that uh, likes to escalate a situation like that to the police. So, yeah, I really what I think happened is that she just wanted David, like, either removed from the situation for a moment or she just wanted the cops to come there, tell him to shut the fuck up. And she, like, genuinely wasn't thinking that David was going to come in and kill her. That's depressing. Also, um, a article just came out. By David or by Nathan's best friend, a woman that I've literally never heard of. It's a woman whose wedding Nate and Ashley were at last weekend. And she said that Kaiser is a completely different child. All of his trauma has been changed because Nate, Kaiser, and Ashley went to one therapy session together. Of course, Ashley is a mother figure to him. <laughs> Nate and Ash- remember guys, there is a gag order on this and anybody talking about the situation in the press is really fucked up. Ashley tweeted like a heart response uh, to this article. Like she tweeted a heart emoji as a response to this article. So this was obviously sanctioned by Nate and Ashley. And it's just so shitty. Like it doesn't benefit Kaiser in any way for us to know that he's in, like that he's in therapy or really how he's doing it all. Like, we're not entitled to that information at all. The only person that an article like that benefits is Kaiser, or excuse me, is Nathan and Ashley. And for them to use their friend to, like, sell stories for positive PR for them is very low and gross. And it's a way to get around the gag order because Nathan can't talk about it himself. And I just, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. But yeah, not that much happened this week besides that 911 call being released, which, you know, was anticlimactic, which is really fucked up. That's fucked up. Oh, also, I guess they went to court on Tuesday. Barbara and Janelle got into a fight in front of TMZ. I posted the video on my Insta story, not on my Insta stories, on my Instagram, 
which, as I said, is feathers underscore pod. And you can go watch that. Basically, Janelle is just yelling at Barbara about Barbara blocking her number, saying we got a new judge and he's not going to like you. It's just typical delusional Janelle shit. I I think it's going to be a long time before Janelle gets her children back, if she ever does. I, mm, it's not going well for them. As I previously said, like, the floodgates really have opened and I don't think that they're going to be able to reverse this court this course. You know, I just, I don't see it. I think it's going to be a long time. I don't think that they're going to cooperate. And Janelle has been talking to the press like all week, which they're not supposed to be doing supposedly because there's supposedly a gag order. In this video where she's fighting with Barbara, she's holding Ensley and Barbara's like, aren't you not supposed to be around Ensley? And she goes, go get an officer if you don't like it. It's just, it's a fucking mess. It's a real, it's a mess. Janelle is her typical delusional self posting stuff about how much her kids love her on Instagram. Not how much she loves her kids, how much her kids love her. She's just, she's completely unhinged and I just don't see her and David cooperating. So yeah, not big updates this week, but it's good that the kids are not with her and David, especially considering like, I wonder how many times in Ensley's life the police have been to her home. You know, for a two-year-old, that's, it's very, very sad. But yeah, let's talk about this episode. I'm excited to get into it. This was a good, this was a good, good, good episode, guys. I suggest you all watch it and not just listen to my recap. <laughs> Where should we start? I think we should just start with Janelle, right? So this episode is called Overload. I'll give you the previously on. Um, the insurance company denied Allie's wheelchair. And Lee's feeling distraught over it. Chelsea's in trouble for working without her esthetician license. And she's buying a house. The first of the teen moms to buy a house, I believe. Kale was inviting Joe and V to Isaac's birthday party and wants to make amends with V. However, they don't come. And Janelle having a huge fight with Nathan and Nathan's going to jail for 30 days. So that's where we are. If you'll remember, this is for Nathan's third DUI. His third. Really, supposedly, technically his fourth because he got one on the military base while he was in the military that he wasn't criminally arrested for. Is that the right way to say it? I don't know. Supposedly, supposedly, allegedly, this has literally never been proven, but it is like a an old Twitter rumor that's been going on since the dawn of time. Um, his daughter was in the car with him during his first DUI. Like, not his first criminal DUI. And that is why he had supervised visits with his daughter for quite a few years. Okay, so the first clip is Jace playing at Barbara's. He's little and cute. And Janelle tells us that she's been getting along really well with Nate, except that in two days he's going to jail. So they go over to his friend Norm's house, and Norm and his wife and child seem incredibly normal. (laughs) incredibly normal. Don't forget, this is when Janelle is like six months pregnant with little baby Kaiser. So this is a pre-Kaiser life for them. The friend is asking how Jace feels about being a brother and Janelle said that he's thrilled and she is in her medical assistant school. This was a time in her life where she was making some sort of effort to get her shit together, kind of. (laughs) Kind of is the best way to say it. 
Um, I did notice Nate was in one of his favorite business casual looks. <laughs> Nate, his the way he dresses is just like always been so insane to me. They go over there for like a casual barbecue and Nate is wearing like tight khakis and a bright orange polo tucked in. <laughs> he looks like it's Friday at the law office. It's just so silly. The way he dresses is so silly to me. To court this week, he wore black shoes, black pants, a black shirt, and a black jacket. Like he was going to a nightclub. <laughs> you don't wear an all-black suit to court. And he didn't have a tie on. He had it, like, unbuttoned. And I was wondering, like, maybe if he went inside, he buttoned it up and then put a tie on. But honestly, like... If you put a tie on, he would look even crazier. He would look like somebody going to homecoming. Like an all black suit with a colored tie is somebody going to homecoming. <laughs> you don't wear all black during the day. You wear black pants or navy pants or charcoal and you wear a light colored button up. And then a jacket if you must. Or not if you must, but you can wear a jacket. A jacket is optional. Optional. Court is not like a black tie event. Like, you don't wear, like, very, very nice clothes to court. You wear nice, professional-looking clothes. Honestly, what Nate wore to this barbecue would have been fine to wear to court. <laughs> he really, like, in the pictures of him walking in, he legitimately looked like he was doing a walk of shame or he was, like, on his way to a nightclub. <laughs> he looked crazy, in my opinion. Um, So... Janelle is worried about Nate's mental state while he goes away is what she says. Nate's like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And Janelle says that she's worried about him. Norm asks if there's anything that he can do. And Nate is like, nope, nope, nothing, nothing at all. Norm's like, you don't want me to like check in on your pregnant girlfriend at all? Like, you don't want me to do anything for you? And Nate's like, nope, nope, totally fine. <laughs> He's drunk. Um, I did notice Nate was actively drinking and he was drunk. Look, you're about to go to jail for your third DUI and you're still drinking. <laughs> I, I mean, I stand firm on the fact that Nate is an alcoholic and should not be drinking at all. I don't believe Nate is moderately drinking now. I bet Nate is heavily binge drinking would be my guess that he's a binge drinker. And I think it's only a matter of time before there's another alcohol-related incident. I just want you guys to remember, Nate has had at least six alcohol-related arrests. At least six. That's a shit ton of alcohol-related arrests. How many alcohol-related arrests have you had? Probably not six. Six, in my opinion, classifies you as somebody that has a serious issue with alcohol and you should not be drinking. Or... I mean, no, like, sorry, you shouldn't be drinking. That's, that's just my opinion. I'm like that vine of Tamara Barney from Real Housewives of OC screaming, but with the Snapchat filter over her, that's me right now. So Norm says that he's happy for Nate because Nate is taking responsibility for what he did. And I'm like, what does that mean? It <laughs> I love when somebody like goes to jail and people are like, he's just taking responsibility for it. Like Nate had any sort of a choice in like, either he could like take a punishment and take responsibility or he just like doesn't get a punishment. I don't think that's how it works. Oh God, guys. I'm starting to sweat because I'm trying not to cough. <laughs> it's a bad situation. Bad situation. Also my room, I think I talked about this last year. I'm going to have to start going to my dad's on the weekends. 
uh, to record because it's really hot in my bedroom in the summers. There's like no insulation, so it's hot in this room in the summer and cold in the winter. Truly hashtag blessed. So it's the day before Nate is supposed to go to jail and Janelle and Nate are laying in bed and Janelle is sobbing and Nate doesn't give a fuck. He like truly, truly doesn't give a fuck that he's going to jail. I actually was felt bad for Janelle in this situation because as somebody who was in a relationship with someone who was in and out of jail, which is crazy for me to think about, like, looking back, that's insane. I, I truly can't believe that my life was like that, but it was. I know that feeling of, like, desperation when your boyfriend's going to go to jail, and it sucks. I can't, guys, I feel so far removed from that. That it's actually crazy that I did that. Maybe I should do a bonus pod on, like, what it's like to be a jailhouse girlfriend. I should be on Love After Lockup, actually. I cannot wait for the new season of Love After Lockup. Oh, I'm so glad. They really are bringing back a super cast. Truly, truly thrilled. We did get an appearance from Janelle's cat, Sky. Do you guys remember that little cute white cat she had? That cat died or went missing. The cat did not live very long, unfortunately. It was a cute little ragdoll cat. R.I.P. to another animal of Janelle's. So Janelle starts flipping out. She just, like, storms into the bathroom and won't come out. It's pitch dark in the bathroom. And that's because she was smoking pot. Now, is Janelle heavily pregnant? Yeah. But Chanel smoked through all of her pregnancies, as we know, and we know she definitely smoked through Kaiser's pregnancy. I think it did come out that Kaiser tested positive at birth for weed. I think they were saying that when Doris um, filed for immediate or for that emergency custody, that not only did Ensley test positive, but that Kaiser also tested positive too. I would have to double check that. But there is lots of proof that Janelle smoked throughout her pregnancy at one point. Uh, There's a scene on the show in which the bong is in the background and she's like eight months pregnant. Uh, Tori or her friend Josh, I can't remember, one of them leaked texts from Janelle where she's like, let's go on a blunt ride. I need to get out of here. I need to smoke. Um, Janelle has never stopped smoking in her life and has smoked through all of her pregnancies. And when Janelle goes into the bathroom while filming, it's because she's doing drugs and can't do them in front of the camera. Um, Janelle, as we know, loves to take baths. Remember when she wrote in her book or somewhere that she takes four baths a day? (laughs) Janelle loves nothing more than smoking pot in her bathtub, which like who amongst us, you know? But when you have multiple children or like you're pregnant, you know, smoking pot in your bathroom all day is like not your best decision. So Nate calls his friend Norm and he's like, Janelle's really flipping out, and Norm basically says, like, you need to make her feel secure. She's just worried about taking care of the house and the dogs, you know, some foreshadowing, and going to school and being pregnant, and Nate's like, you're right, you're right. So he basically goes into the bathroom and insists that he loves her and he'll be there for her. This actually wasn't, like, a heavy, heavy Janelle drama episode, but watching the two of their dynamics was very interesting to me. Well, I would say the most, to me, like, the most glaring part, as I already talked about, was the fact that Nathan was drinking, like, before going into jail for his alcohol-related arrest. 
And just the desperation of Janelle's emotions and Nate not giving a fuck. I think that that was a hallmark of their relationship. At one point, Janelle even says, she's like, he goes, well, you know, I'll be safe. And she says, yeah, I know you won't be talking to other girls. And it's like, oh, yikes. (laughs) It's not great if, like, you need your boyfriend to go to jail so that he won't talk to other girls. I forgot that at this point they had a yellow Hummer. (laughs) I totally forgot about that yellow Hummer. Like, way past the time of yellow Hummers being cool. Remember when the H2 first came out and it was, like, the coolest fucking car for everyone to have and then we had like a recession and gas prices were like nine hundred dollars a gallon so everyone got rid of their hummers this was you know after the fact that janelle and nathan had this yellow hummer oh what an awful car so it's the day of court and janelle's like well i don't want to put makeup on in case i cry and nathan goes yeah you seem to be crying a lot lately it's like yeah because her boyfriend's going to jail while she's six months pregnant Ay. Um, so they show them going to the courthouse, they meet their lawyer, Amy, outside, and Janelle, or Nate asks if there's any way that he can do probation instead of going to jail, and Amy says that South Carolina doesn't have probation for misdemeanors, which is weird. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't really understand what she was saying. Like, I don't, how can you not have probate, like, all misdemeanors require jail time? That didn't make sense to me, but that's what Amy said, and so Nate went to jail for 30 days. I don't even know if he ended up going to jail for the full 30 days. I can't totally remember, but that was it for Janelle and Nate. Just watching them interact with each other was really wild. Like, it's so obvious that Nate was really never that into Janelle. Janelle was always, like, a come-up for Nate, not somebody that he actually wanted to be with. That's why he cheated on her the whole time that they were together. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if I've talked about this on the pod. I mean, I'm sure I have at some point. But when Nate and Janelle first got together, Nate had been living with another woman. Her name was Brianna, and she had, like, a three-year-old daughter that was calling Nate dad. Like, they were living together, and he met Janelle, I believe, on Plenty of Fish and kicked that girl out like that. (laughs) Kick that baby out like that. Janelle moved in about a day later and it was happily ever after, but not. Janelle was always a sugar mama for Nate. Nate is a user. He's an abuser and he saw exactly what he could get out of Janelle and stayed with her exactly as long as he needed her. And then by the time his full disability kicked him from the VA and he was getting an MTV check, he didn't have to put up with her anymore. So he didn't. And that's the facts. So, yeah, that to me was definitely interesting to watch the two of them, like, interact with each other. Because I haven't watched an episode where the two of them are together in so long. I haven't really, like, revisited these seasons since they were on the air. And it's just a reminder that, like, Janelle, Janelle and Nate were always, like, Janelle desperate to be with him and him not really giving a fuck about her. <laughs> It's just sad, and I think that's a lot of Janelle's relationships. And goes back to the reason why I talk about her and David being perfect for each other, perfect in quotation marks, and it's because he's somebody that gives her constant attention, even if it's negative attention, where, like, all she wanted from Nate was his constant attention, and he would not give it to her. And David does, and that's why she views it as love. I think it it's important to watch these episodes with Nathan, 
in the way that Nathan treats her and the way that she interacts with Nathan to give a perspective on why she allows David to treat her the way that she does. I don't know if allows is the right word. Is that a little victim blamey? I don't know. Let's hope Janelle goes to therapy soon. So yeah, definitely suggest watching that. And let's go on to Chelsea right after a quick break. Okay, Chelsea, who is in peak brat this episode, but what was really interesting was how heavily featured Adam was. I guess, like, I don't know, guys. Adam being off the show for so long, and before he was off the show, he wasn't really filming. Had I just, like, forgot about Adam. <laughs> like, obviously, I didn't forget about him because they talk about him all the time, but he's, like... Such a dark, looming character, rightfully so, by the way. This is not me defending Adam. Please, please don't take it that way. But he's just, like, basically this evil character on the show now, right? And so to see him in dad mode and, like, actually being a present father and a present boyfriend, him and Taylor were never married, right? Definitely not. Um, And just, like, just so present was really interesting it was just a weird experience I wasn't expecting like Adam popped up and I was like oh here we go and then I was like wow he's actually like being pretty okay but then of course he still has his asshole moments but I don't know it was just something very interesting to watch I I guess I just forgot what it was like when Adam was around but not interacting with Chelsea because he's obviously around in like these the early episodes that I've watched but it's like only in relation to fucking Chelsea it has nothing to do with like him parenting uh, Aubrey so it's, it's it's interesting so the episode opens with Adam Taylor Paisley and Aubrey taking family pictures together <laughs> I was like what the fuck I and Chelsea is getting settled into her new house which is the one that she lived in up until this last year She's worried about not being able to work. Basically, what happened was Chelsea, as you guys all know, got went to esthetician school. She dropped out of uh, cosmetology school because she had a planned Aubrey's third birthday party. <laughs> but then she went back to get her esthetician license. She took the tests and was waiting on uh, to find out if she passed the test and to get like the board approval. She worked... I'll use that in quotation marks, at a wedding at the time doing makeup. Now, this got posted online. Chelsea claims that she wasn't actually working. She was doing it for free, which you're allowed to do. Like, anybody's allowed to do makeup for someone. Like, I I mean, I can't do makeup for shit. But I could go, you know, to somebody's house and do their makeup right now. I'm just not allowed legally to charge them for it. So... Chelsea, this was posted all over online, and somebody uh, posted or reported this to the board, like to the labor, not labor board, but like the cosmetology, whoever oversees this shit. I don't know what the name for that is, but they reported her, and they basically were like, you're in trouble, you're like, we aren't going forward on approving your license, you have to immediately stop what you're doing, and you're under review. Chelsea had already lined up a new job 
And the job basically told her that she couldn't come in until this got settled. So now Chelsea is pissed because she isn't able to make money, as she says, because of social media. Now, remember, this is season five, B of Teen Mom, and she just bought a fucking house, even though she's never had more than a part-time job at a tanning salon. (laughs) Girl, you're not worried about making money. Come on. They're like, I need to make my house payments. It's like... I don't really think that you need your job for this. I don't really think you're worried about money. She's also driving, like, a brand new Jeep. It's just funny to watch her pretend like she is genuinely worried about not working because of the money factor. She's just pissed that she got told on. And what I was wondering is if I wonder if this experience kind of shaped the way that Chelsea interacted with social media and really was one of her first wake-up calls to, like, I don't want this type of social media of attention, so I'm not going to, uh, like, I wonder if this is when, I guess what I'm trying to say is I wonder if this is when she became a lot more controlling of her image because I really think that this is probably the first time that she saw, like, just how negative the social media could be beyond people just being, like, mean to her and calling her fat. I think that this was, like, probably the first time that she had had something really bad happen to her as opposed to, like, you know, someone like Janelle or Amber or even Leah where, like, police are being called. This is che- this was probably Chelsea's, like, big wake-up call for how crazy everybody that watches this show is, including myself. I wonder if this was, like, a big motivating factor to her, like, curating everything in her life. By the way, they took Aubrey to see JoJo this week, which, like, you know, props to them. Aubrey loves JoJo. But, you guys, JoJo's going to murder me one day. Like, I'm sure of it. So, that's that on that. Um, Randy comes over and Chelsea's whining. They Randy has set... She's like, well, I'm going to go see a lawyer. And then we found out that Randy sets up the whole lawyer appointment like he's the one that calls the lawyer he's the one that makes the appointment for Chelsea it's just it's it's very this is a Randy doing everything for Chelsea heavy episode <laughs> it's just funny to see like a pre-Cole but mostly post-Adam Chelsea interesting to me by the way, I believe it's in the first episode of this season that Chelsea has a pregnancy scare although that may have been 5A because when I was looking around, I was like, oh, I should do one where Chelsea's still fucking at him. Ay, <laughs> So they talk about, I guess they're on like a trial run of visitation for Adam. And it's only supposed to be for three months. And I guess they're coming up on the three months. And they're saying that the visitation is with Adam and not with the Lynns. And that if he can't keep up with this, that they're going to like suspend this because she, oh, we can still see the lens, but she won't go over there every other weekend. And I just kind of laughed because I was like, wow, Aubrey end up, ends up going over there every other weekend for the next like four years. Because <laughs> Aubrey's only like four in this episode. So that's pretty crazy that they basically laid out exactly what was going to happen by saying what wasn't going to happen. <laughs> um, Adam and his family go out with friends they go to hibachi and adam is like crazy lucid in this aubrey has a little mini meltdown just like a a normal kid tantrum because she wants to play on the phone and adam picks aubrey up brings her like out of the restaurant or into the lobby and has a whole conversation with her 
about how she needs to calm down, how she can look at the phone after uh, after the after they eat, but it's not the time. Like, he fully parents the situation. I could not believe it. I don't think I realized that Adam, like, ever interacted with Aubrey on a level like that. And Aubrey was, like, totally receptive to him. She totally calmed down. Like, she obviously viewed him as a parental figure. And I was like, shit. I, I guess I just, like... I don't know. I guess, like, I never realized, I never realized that that, that he acted like that. I'm not saying Adam is a good dad. <laughs> I just want to, just want to make that clear that I'm not making that claim. I think I just, I completely forgotten that Adam was a real person that was complicated and wasn't always the total worst person in the whole world because that's what he's been for the last, I don't know what, five years? So it was, it was just startling to see. And of course, he brings you right back because after he has this like really nice little dad moment in front of Aubrey, he starts talking shit about Chelsea and how Chelsea wants to keep uh, Aubrey away from him and just all this typical bullshit and that how, <laughs> how none of his addictions have anything to do with him being a dad and the DUIs don't have anything to do with it and there should be no problem and it's just it's just classic it's you're like oh yeah 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 that's Adam that's the Adam that we know Taylor's like let's just keep going forward in a positive manner poor Taylor oh poor poor Taylor so we get the scene of Chelsea going to the lawyer and Chelsea basically explains like I did the makeup for free it was my friend Landon remember Landon I think they're still friends I think he's a photographer now and like shoots a lot of her stuff if I'm not mistaken and her friend Landon um had a company because I believe he was a hairstylist and he posted a bunch of stuff and Chelsea's like I don't even understand how this like can prove that I'm paid for anything the lawyer basically agrees with her and explains to her that he's going to write a letter as the response to the article, the article, as a response to the letter that she got. It goes in front of their investigation board and best case scenario is that they say, oh, okay, this makes sense. You didn't do anything wrong. Uh, worst case scenario is that they deny that and then they have to go to a trial or mediation or some sort of hearing where Chelsea defends her case. He says that it's unlikely that this will be settled before a month, like even in the best possible way. And Chelsea is frustrated. Uh, we're supposed to believe it's about money. I think she's frustrated that I think that she's like, just like I said, like I think she's having a realization of how much the fandom can affect her real life. And I would imagine that that's like a fucking scary realization you know, the show had just come back after being on hiatus for a full year. I would imagine that during that full year, Chelsea had kind of adjusted to being off this show. Remember, this is pre... It's not pre-social media, because Chelsea definitely had social media, but it's pre-monetization of social media. And it was pre-Instagram being a job. And it was pre Instagram stories and it was pre Snapchat. So we used social so bleh, bleh, bleh. we used social media in a pretty different way than we use it now, especially in a different way than like a famous person would use it. 
So I would bet Chelsea had, I'm sure, gotten, like, a ton of a hate, just like any influencer person that's putting content out, like, gets hate, (laughs) you know? Like, you can't, you can't be a famous person or any sort of person that puts yourself out on the internet and not get hate. But Chelsea obviously, like, hadn't had this show, like, had a really negative impact on things that she was doing in her day-to-day, I would guess, and that's why she's pissed. And I think that's understandable, and I would bet that this was a big lesson for her. It had to have been. You know, Janelle probably learned this lesson, like, three years before this. (laughs) But it was late for Chelsea. It was late for Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea calls her dad to whine about it. And it was just such a classic. She's like, another goddamn month, dad. (laughs) Oh, just peak, peak, peak Chelsea whining to her daddy. Oh, so good. I miss, I miss this particular Chelsea who was like a little dramatic, a little interesting, still kind of a palate cleanser. Adam was involved. Adam was on the show. I think this might have been, like, peak interesting Chelsea. When she's, like, still kind of going back and forth with Adam, but, like, not really. She's, like, trying to get her shit together, but she's still spoiled. It's right before she met Cole, and then everything starts to go downhill. And probably right before she figured it was time to really rein in what she showed on the show. So, yeah. Now let's go on to Kalen, who just had baby Lincoln. He's, like three months old he's so fucking cute at one point he smiles and it's so crazy how much his smile was already his smile if that makes sense like he are like that baby has had that face his entire life is so crazy so kale calls joe who has isaac and asks why he and v did not come to isaac's birthday party which she invited them to and joe's like Honestly, like, I just felt like it was awkward and we weren't ready for it. Now, because I watched this episode, which was all about Kale and V, I watched that one segment from the reunion, the the Kale and V reunion segment, because MTV had been coming up in my YouTube suggestions anyway, so I was like, ugh, I'll watch this. Didn't watch most of the rest of the reunion. Like I said, I just, I just don't care. I just don't care about it. I'm sorry, guys, I just can't. And we were reminded that the first time Kale and V ever were in the same room was at a reunion. (laughs) And when Kale just, like, laid into her, that was the only time that they had been, like, in the same room together. And they don't have any interaction with each other. It was just, it was not good. Kale got on that reunion stage, called V out for having a picture of her with a... (laughs) (laughs) like a gas mask she said with a blunt but I've never seen a gas mask with a blunt we I always smoked a gas mask with a bong did you guys ever do that like a gas mask that had a bong attached to the end of it so you would all the smoke would like be forced into your mouth and your nose I don't know why do people do that stuff and by people I mean me Elizabeth Bentley like why did I do that so stupid so unnecessary like just take a bong hit so unnecessary. But Kale hated V. She was obviously quite jealous of V. Um, in the reunion segment, they showed a uh, a clip of Kale calling V a hood rat. 
saying that she does not trust V to be around Isaac, saying that she can't trust that V isn't drunk or high when Isaac is around. <laughs> also remember, like, V is pretty young. I think she was only 17 when she and Joe got together. So V and Kale make up, obviously, and they're quite close now. Dr. Drew Nessa asks if, like, watching that gives Kale any hope for her relationship with Lauren. And Kale is like, nope, no hope at all. She's like, I will never, ever, ever be friends with Lauren because the issues that V and I had were because we were so young and now we're like 26 and 27, which means we are who we are and we won't change and we won't be friends. And Dr. Drew was like, are you fucking kidding me? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like Dr. Drew pushes back on that and calls her out on that and calls that his bullshit. First of all, it's so funny hearing someone being like, I'm 27 and I'm all grown up and I will never change. Like, okay, no, that's. I mean, you're grown, but you're still going to change. Second of all, V was nodding her head in agreement with that, which I found interesting. I thought it was interesting how much of a stand in solidarity V was taking with Kale against Lauren. I thought that, like, at least to me, it looked like V was, like, clearly nodding her head when Kale said that her and Lauren's issues were, like, because of who they are as people and not their age and that they were not going to be fixed uh, also in the segment, Kale, on the reunion segment, Kale cries because she just loves V so much and could never think of a better stepmom for V and totally understands, like, everything that V's ever done. V cries. V looked beautiful, by the way. Uh, Joe didn't come to the reunion because he's so busy working in real estate, which, like, lol. <laughs> you guys know how I feel about that one. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but it was a nice segment. It's nice to see Kale and V get along, and it was nice for me to watch this episode and then watch that clip, because in this episode, it is Kale deciding that she wants to be friends with V. If not friends, she wants everybody to be in a good place. So she calls Joe, and she's like, hey, I want to come see your apartment. I want to see where you're living, where Isaac is when he's with you. And Joe says, well, you know... V lives here too, right? And she said, yeah, I know. And he said, okay, well, it's fine with me, but, like, you need to ask V, which I thought was a good, I thought that was a good response from Joe to just be like, hey, you know, because the issue was between Kale and V, not really Kale and Joe. And I like that Joe wasn't just inviting a woman into their house that has been horrific to V, even if it is Isaac's mom. I don't know. I just, I thought that was, I was impressed with that response from Joe, I guess I could say. And Kale says, okay, that's fine. Send me her number. I will reach out to her. Kale was, like, just in a mature-ass mood this episode. (laughs) We find out Javi's going to be leaving for a month for training, and Kale's going to be alone with two kids and two dogs, and she's not really that worried. She said, you know, Lincoln naps when I have to take Isaac to school, so I'm a little worried about that, but I think it will be fine. Uh, Isaac, or Javi said the one thing that he's worried about is Kale having to drive Isaac to and from Joe's house, which remember Joe still lived in New Jersey at this point. So Joe lived three hours away or I wasn't sure if Joe lived three hours away or if he lived an hour and a half away. So it was three hours round trip. Delaware and New Jersey are right next to each other. So it's possible that it was just not just an hour and a half, but it was an hour and a half and not three hours each way. So Kale's like, speaking of that, like, I want to go see uh, Joe and V's apartment and see V. And Javi's like, really? (laughs) 
<laughs> and she's like, yeah. And he's like, I, I mean, okay. I'm like, pre-. Javi was basically stunned. And I think that that goes for a lot of things that Kale does, that Kale is stubborn, 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 and then she's not. <laughs> and like, she's a bitch, she's a bitch, she's a bitch, and then she's not. And I think it's always kind of confusing for the people around her that she just like will suddenly be like, okay, I'm over that. I'm ready to move on from this. And everyone's like, wait, you are? <laughs> I can imagine that's kind of exhausting to be around. We get a scene of Joe and V talking about this. And V is in full Farrah Fawcett hair. It's like so curled. She's wearing like a full Ann Taylor Loft outfit. She looks very matronly. Like she's pretty, but she just looks very matronly. By the way, I want to say like everything in this episode is filmed like so dark and gritty compared to how it looks now and just like the general the overall cinematography is so dark I guess it's because they're living like shittier places so they just didn't have as much light to film but this especially was like physically very dark so V explains that she isn't bothered by Kale coming over at all and that Kale sent her a text saying that she wants to put the past in the past and she wants it to be in a step in the right direction I noticed that Kale didn't open with an apology. <laughs> I feel like most people in that situation would be like, hey, I'd really like us to get together. Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes in the past and I would really like to move forward and I'd really, really appreciate if you would be willing to do it. I understand if you wouldn't, but I just, I'm so sorry. Like, Kale never leads with an apology <laughs> when the situation truly calls for one. <sighs> uh they said that V says that she's never been in the same room as Kale in a social a social situation, which was like shocking to me because I watched the reunion thing after this, and I guess I just hadn't realized that the only time they had talked to each other was at the, that that reunion. Which is it's just crazy. V said that when Kale texted her, she like she was like, I looked out the window to see if hell was over, if pigs were flying. <laughs> Joe says like maybe this is you know, a sign that people can change and things can get better. And V was like, honestly, I think it's going to be the most awkward for Javi. <laughs> Which I think they were right about. I think that Javi, like, and I think they say that because, like, Javi was kind of forced to be on Kale's side, even though he didn't have any sort of issue with V and Joe. So it probably was hard because I bet Javi was like, wait, we don't like them. <laughs> now we're going to be friends with them? <laughs> I can imagine that's very hard as Kale's partner that like she expects you to be fully, fully on her team, which like fair enough. But she hold, like I just said, like she holds these crazy grudges and then she gets over them. And then she's probably like, well, now you have to be their best friend. And your par her partner's probably like, but you made me hate them. <laughs> Ugh, we get a scene of Isaac just being so, so, so sweet. And Kale and Javi go to the apartment and they meet him. And Javi and V meet for the very first time, which is crazy to me. Because Kale and Javi are, like, married at this point. They have a new baby. Isaac is with Joe every, Joe and V every other weekend. I don't know. It's just so crazy. Everyone's being nice. And Javi is, like, yeah, having the new baby. It's hard. And they're, like, well, Isaac likes that we're all getting along. Basically, it's just, like, nice, happy, small talk. It's obviously a little awkward but the overall vibe seems really positive javi jokes that they should come to delaware and see their house and they all decide to go out to eat together 
As they're getting ready to go, Kale says to Joe, she's like, I'm sorry I was such an asshole that I couldn't make this happen earlier. And Joe's like, huh? And she's like, I mean, I was just an asshole. Like, I, like I'm sorry. And Joe's like, could you repeat that? I couldn't hear you. <laughs> just fucking around with her. And Kale's like, I shouldn't even be apologizing to you. I need to apologize to V. So they go out for dinner and basically baby Lincoln is being cute. Javi or Isaac is fast asleep and Kale and V have a cute little response back and forth. A response back and forth. A talk back and forth about how Isaac can sleep everywhere, anywhere, and everywhere. And I guess I think it was more of like Kale realizing how much V is in Isaac's life. And basically, Javi says, like, he wasn't sure how it was going to go, but he's happy, and they're all happy. And Kale says this much. She's like, you know, Isaac would come home, like, every weekend and just talk about V and talk about V. And I had to realize, like, you're in his life. You love him. You're good. But he still sees me as mom. He doesn't feel replaced. And now it's like he has a second mom and a second dad. And I was like, wow, I love a mature moment from Kale. When Kale's being mature, she's easy to like. It's just, like, she's so immature that she's rage-inducing. So, Joe brings up the fact that Kale should apologize to V, and Kale does. She says she wishes she wasn't so bitchy and stubborn, and so this could happen sooner. It was a great, it was actually, like, a great, great episode for Kale. And then watching her in the reunion talk about Lauren just, it just made me realize, like, how not far Kale has come and why Kale's such a frustrating person. Because when she is being nice and mature, she's really normal and funny and easy to like. But then her immaturity just like smothers that. And you just get so frustrated watching her. Like saying that she will never get along with Lauren is just so stupid. It's just a stupid thing to say because it's not, first of all, it's like, it's not true. Like, you don't know if you're never going to get along with someone. Like, you can't say that. It's not, it's not a factual statement to make about something because you don't know what's going to happen. But Kale just being, literally repeating the past and when called out on it, trying to say that she's not doing that. It's frustrating. I mean, I hope her and Lauren do make amends at some point. Do I think Lauren is totally innocent in this? No. She's liked some shady comments. She called Kale a twat, obviously. But I also think it's important to remember that, like, Javi loves to pit the women in his life against each other. So I can only imagine that he's, like, totally encouraging this feud between them. And if Kale was smart, and this is what I said about Bray, that if Kale was smart, like, she would not give Javi the satisfaction. Like, every time Kale talks shit about Lauren, Javi is happy. So it's just so stupid that she can't, that she, she can't see that. Remember last season when I said that she should just, like, anytime she's asked about Bree, she should smile and be like, ugh, I'm so happy that they're together and they're happy. That would have killed Javi. She needs to do the same with Lauren instead of, like, going on the reunion implying that Javi's still trying to fuck her. <laughs> Which, even if true, is, like, shitty. It's shitty to say. It is. I'm sorry. It's shitty to say because Javi is in a relationship and has a new baby. And it's like, this doesn't need to come up on camera. Call Javi out. 
you don't need to like blow up Lauren like Lauren's relationship like that. I don't know. Obviously, Javi would be the one blowing it up. Not really sure exactly what I'm trying to say. I just think that Kale isn't. Like I said, I didn't watch watch the reunion, but like I read comments and recaps and stuff. So I know that Kale basically said on the reunion that Javi's still trying to fuck her and still trying to come over to her house and that they have sex when he's in relationships or whatever. And it Kale's not saying that like for Lauren's benefit. You know what I mean? She's not saying it to be like, I just want I don't want Lauren to be like hurt by this. She's saying it just to be a bitch, and that's what bothers me. Anyway, let's go on to drug addict Leah. <laughs> that was rude. Okay. I need to set up the timeline as I understand the timeline to be. Which, according to Leah... Oh, by the way, Leah announced... Oh, I talked about this last week, how she's writing a book. And then somebody did a recap of her latest podcast on Reddit, which, thank God, because Leah's podcast is truly the worst thing I've ever listened to. Like... No one has ever been less qualified to host a podcast than Leah. And she was talking about how she's going to be telling, like, explosive stuff. But she, she like, said some line about how she wants to have open communication with everyone. So she's revealing secrets. Because <laughs> nothing fosters healthy communication like writing a tell-all book. <laughs> but... According to her podcast that I did listen to a couple months ago, maybe almost a year ago now, maybe, when Jeremy was on the podcast, Leah talked about her drug addiction for the first time ever, which she claims she wasn't mentally addicted to them. She was just physically addicted. She says that she had a botched epidural and was given, like, a bunch of scripts when she left the hospital. And that she then got addicted to the opiates and her dad was living with them and he was an opiate addict and they were using together. Now, I'll remind you, Addie is like a year old in this episode, at least. She might even be a little over a year in this episode. And throughout this episode, she talks about the fact that she's never done drugs in her entire life. (laughs) So... The Leah that we are present, or the Leah that she's presenting to us is not the authentic Leah. We find out that Leah is under a lot of stress and she went to the doctor a few days ago for medicine. She goes to meet a friend for lunch and, I mean, first of all, I just want to say, like, she looks insane through this whole episode. I don't know if she's wearing a bad wig or what's going on with her bangs. She's wearing crazy lipstick and blush. She, This is, like, actually the worst Leah ever looked. Like, this season is not the worst she'd ever looked like because she's on drugs it's like her styling is just so fucking crazy <laughs> she apologizes to her friend right off the bat she's like i'm sorry that i seem sleepy but i got put on new meds and people just don't know about being moms with special needs kid is so hard and her friend's like you know, obviously trying to support her and is being understanding is being like yeah moms put, as moms we put ourselves laughs and we're Last, we're not taking care of ourselves, and it's so hard to be a mom, and people just don't understand. And Leah is says, which I just thought this was so telling and interesting, and as a drug addict myself, so fucking relatable. She said, you know, she's just, like, drowning in medical bills, and usually when she looks at the medical bills, she screams and cries. And that when last, the night before, she took her meds, 
Then she looked at the medical bills and felt calm about them. You know, as a recovered drug addict myself, I found this very, very relatable. I didn't do drugs because I was, like, I didn't start out as a drug addict, you know? Like, I did drugs because the feeling felt so good and it relieved me of the pain that I felt inside. And that feeling of relief was like so great that I chased it and chased it and chased it. Alcohol and drugs are my solution. My problem was like my crippling anxiety and PTSD and depression and all of those issues and drugs became my solution for that. And like you literally heard Leah like lay that out. Now, obviously like that's what medicine is supposed to do, especially anti anxiety medicine like it's supposed to help you feel calm and so you don't feel so overwhelmed but knowing that Leah became a drug addict it was very or already was a drug addict at this point it was interesting to hear it just like laid out like that a way that we would talk about in meetings you know but we would talk about it in meetings like acknowledging that we had found the solution for our problems (laughs) And that it then became very unhealthy for us and that it made all of our problems actually worse. So it's interesting to hear someone in the thick of it just so clearly explain like the sensation that those of us that are drug addicts feel. And it was a little sad for me to hear that, to be honest, like made me feel a little sad. And it also was not triggering, but triggering definitely wouldn't be the right word there. It was like a reminder of why I loved benzo so much. I was like a major benzo addict. Like I would have multi at the end of my using, I would have like multi-day blackouts on, uh, benzos. I had an Ativan script. I would take, I would get 31 milligram Ativans, which is like really a 0.5 Xanax. It's not a, it's not a large dose, but I would take all 30 of those in like three or four days. And I would just like blackout for multiple days at a time, which is really fucking scary like really really scary now that I look back on it but at the time it it just like didn't mean anything to me I started using Xanax like when I was really young my mom had a prescription to it that I would take all the time when I was like 15 I think I started it was like the first pill that I really started to abuse around then was when I guess I got Adderall around that time too so when I was like 15 I was abusing Xanax and Adderall and I stayed abusing Xanax and Adderall for the next 10 years until I got sober but Xanax was like always one of my like high drugs of choice it was like my favorite drug for a long time so I really (laughs) understood that feeling that Leah had it was also kind of like a oh god I used to like walk around like that I don't know if I was like as fucked up as that I mean I think I was though I remember once my cousin Julia and I got into a fight because I had like said some shit on it and she called me out on it and was like you are so high on Xanax that you don't even realize like the things that you're saying I was like really upset that she said that to me but in retrospect I don't know if I've Julia I'm sorry for that I mean I know I apologize at the time but in retrospect it's like that's definitely what I was doing I remember being like when she said that to me like being really upset and was like that's not true but, like, it was absolutely true. It was, like, in the summer and I got, like, 100 Valium or something before going down the shore for the summer and took a lot of them very quickly. I don't know how I got 100 Valium. Looking back, it's, like, so crazy, these things that I did. But, yeah, this whole thing was, like, very, very relatable. And I remember 
the first time I had taken, when I was a teenager, I had taken enough Xanax that I was so high in the morning and my dad was like being mean to me because my dad was like a fucking terror in the morning. He used to just be like such a dickhead in the morning before school. I remember he was yelling at me and I was like, yeah, I don't give a fuck because I was high. <laughs> I was high on Xanax still from the night before because I had taken so much. And it was really like the first time that I like didn't care that my dad was screaming at me. And so it was like the solution for my problem, you know, for the anxiety that came from having an emotionally abusive dad. And that's basically what Leah is expressing throughout this episode, that these pills are like the solution for her anxiety for having a special needs daughter. And obviously, I'm not saying like people shouldn't take Xanax. If you don't abuse it, of course, you should be able to take a benzo. Um, But for those of us that are addicts, like that feeling and that sensation is like it... (laughs) It's everything. It's truly everything. And I can imagine it felt especially good to Leah, who was abusing Roxy Cotton at the time. I don't mean to laugh, but like that opiate and Xanax high together is like, I mean, it really doesn't get any better than that. It's extremely dangerous and you can overdose and die. But I would imagine Leah was feeling quite good on that combo. So, um, she has a conversation with Corey and Leah is mad about the wheelchair being denied and Corey doesn't seem to be that angry about it. Basically, the wheelchair was denied by their insurance because they can't, because Allie's so young, the insurance says that Allie can't like say that she needs it. Um, and remember, as Leah says, in this episode that Allie is the only child with this specific type of muscular dystrophy. So they don't have, like, they can't point to other cases and be like, this kid that has tightened muscular dystrophy needed a wheelchair at this age. So she needs a wheelchair at this age. So fighting with insurance is probably especially difficult because they don't, the insurance companies don't have anything to compare Allie to. So Leah wants Corey to basically just like call and call and call and call And she's like, they need to know it's urgent. My anxiety is so bad about this. And Allie's the only one in the world who has this disorder disorder, and they need to make that, like the insurance company needs to know this. And Corey doesn't seem to care. Leah thinks that Corey doesn't want Allie to use the wheelchair. Like he's not really a fan of the wheelchair idea and that's why he's not pushing it. It's just, it's sad to watch Leah be so adamant that Allie needed her wheelchair and now it's however many years later and she's still not, you know, compliant with Allie using the wheelchair and the doctor's orders to use it. (laughs) It, It's sad that, like, at the time she seemed so gung-ho for it to be Allie's treatment and now she doesn't seem to give a fuck about it at all. So... Leah goes to work, and we get a voiceover explaining that the medicine her doctor prescribed her is making her super drowsy. I don't know where Leah was working at the time. It looked like a tanning salon, because I think that's the only job any teen mom on the show was ever able to get, was at a tanning salon. (laughs) All of them worked at tanning salons. (laughs) And it looks like she's sitting in, I don't know, maybe it's some sort of salon, because she's sitting on, like, what looks like a waxing bed. And she calls Allie's physical therapist because she wants basically advice on how to talk to the insurance company. And she goes, 
uh, sorry, I just need to, I just need to switch seats. And the therapist is like, what? And then she like switches into a chair and she goes, I forgot what I was going to say now. And Kim, the physical therapist is confused. And she's like, what can I do for you? And Leah's like, well, like they, they deny the wheelchair. What do you think I should do? And Kim explains like, it's not uncommon for an insurance company to deny it. You know, what you have to do is then resubmit and give them this explanation. And Leah says, another thing that I was going to talk to you about is with Allie's disorder, I feel like her realization to everything has come up. It's just come up more in the last few weeks than it ever has. What would be some ideas for you to tell us what to tell her? And the therapist is like, you mean like Allie asking about her illness, her disease? And Leah's like, yeah. And the therapist says that she should be honest. And Leah, like, nods out in her chair by the therapist explaining what Leah and Corey should tell Allie. Like, she does a full nod where she almost falls out of the chair. And that's when we get Leah's most memorable scene to date, unfortunately. (laughs) It just is. It just, it just is. So she goes with her head in a full nod. If you guys don't know what a nod is, Google dope nod. It'll come up. She's in a full nod and she goes, maybe they need to get, if they were to do something like they even make like a lower die and the stuff instead of putting all that stuff in a kid's head, you know, they, they like make a different dye and stuff. So maybe they're putting too much dye in the baby's head. And the, the therapist is like, um, I'm, I'm sorry. You're like, you're really breaking up, Leah. And she's like, I'm just like tired and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then she hangs up. Now, my question is like, do you call CPS after you get a call in the middle of the day when your patients, your minor patient's parent is so fucking intoxicated that they are slurring words and talking completely incomprehensibly on the phone. <laughs> Is that a CPS call? I mean, I'm not really sure because that physical therapist has to be a mandated reporter, but she's not technically putting Allie at, or any of the kids at risk because she's not like driving with them and the kids aren't even with her. But. Mm, mm, Not great. Not great. It's a really hard scene to watch. Like, she straight up nods out. Now, this isn't the first and only time she nods out on camera. If you guys don't remember, there's another time later in the season, or series, I think it's like two seasons later, where she's holding her brother's baby, and she nods out with the baby in her hands. Somebody has to grab the baby for her. That's like right before she goes to treatment, I believe. And then we see her, like, kind of nodding out while driving after treatment. It's not great. The episode wraps up with Leah talking to Jeremy, and she's crying to him that she feels like she's on drugs. And Jeremy's like, okay, so call your doctor. And she's like, he just says I have to get used to it. I've never taken drugs before, so my body's just not used to this. And I'm like, I wonder if Jeremy already knew she had an opiate addiction I would really like to have to have Leah sit here with me off record and tell me honestly exactly how much drugs she was using, when she was using them, and how they correspond to this scene in the timeline. 
Um, Leah says that she's never felt like she's been on drugs in her entire life. And honestly, Jeremy comes off as really unsupportive in this scene, but I think it's because he knew Leah was already a pill head. So I think he was like, in his head, he's like, what is this bitch talking about? She's never felt like she's taken drugs. Like she takes, I see her take three Roxy's a day. Like, what is she talking about? I know she's doing drugs with her daddy who lives in our basement. (laughs) Although, weren't they living in a trailer at that time? I don't know. But she was doing drugs with her dad. Jeremy knew she was doing drugs. I think that's why he seems so unsupportive. He says that Leah was prescribed one in the morning and one at night. I'm curious how many milligrams she was prescribed. And he's like, just take a quarter of it. You're taking it too much. And this is when Leah starts crying and says, it helps me first and then it makes me feel like I'm a damn druggie. Oh, because you were a damn druggie, Leah. It's just, it's really crazy that, like, this is the way, in retrospect, it's crazy that this is the way that we are introduced to Leah's then ongoing multiple season drug addiction that we've just, like, all moved way past and it's like it never happened. (laughs) I would like to just watch Leah's drug scenes. This was like kind of peak Leah as far as Leah being entertaining, you know, when she gets into this drug addiction, which is terrible to say, but it's just the truth. It's just the truth. And that dying the baby's head thing is like, it's not, it's not great. Leah then is begging Jeremy to support her because she says that she needs to take the medicine because it helps her, but she needs Jeremy's support and she needs Jeremy's support to be the best mother and person she can be. And Jeremy's like, what do you want me to do? And she's like, listen to me. Talk to me. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> God, I wonder if they're sulking up. Such a mess. But yeah, that's it for this week. I love you guys. Have a good week. Remember, follow me on Instagram. Under, I mean, obviously, if you're already following me, you're still following me. But if you want to look for me, it's feathers underscore pod. Guys, I'll talk to you later. Bye. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos.